Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr. And today I bring you Movement Mortgage CEO and Super Bowl champion, Casey Crawford. What if you could 10x your goals? Or what if you could achieve your 10-year goals in six months? How would that change your life? Do you ever wonder how people like Elon Musk or Richard Branson or Oprah Winfrey get insane results while most other people get mediocre results? Or worse, they remain stuck right where they started. World-class performers in business, sports, and otherwise get 10x results. They're achieving what most people would set as 10-year goals and achieving it in just six months. How do they do it? What's different about their thinking? What's different about how they operate versus how you operate? What if you could tap into that thinking for your life? Well, you can. Join me and 24 others as I walk you through a specific step-by-step process that I learned by working with world-class performers that will explode your limiting beliefs and finally reveal to you the actual steps that you need to take to get 10x results. Even if you only get 5x the results, or even if you only get 2x the results, how would that change your life? This is a work session. That is, you show up ready to work for the full 90 minutes, and you'll leave with a custom, personalized, written plan for you. And it takes place on Monday, February 15th. That's President's Day. That's Valentine's Day will be behind you, and you'll be able to put your full focus on the work that we'll do together. Space is limited. Go to jimharshojr.com slash 10x to learn more. That's jimharshojr.com, the number 10, the letter X. You have goals for this year, but if you use the same thinking that got you last year's results, you're going to get more of the same. You know there's more inside of you. You know you're leaving too much on the table. You know the clock is ticking and there's no time left to underperform. Let's break the mold of the system that you've been operating under and finally give you the plan that you've been looking for. Go to jimharshojr.com slash 10x to learn more. There you'll find some bonuses that I don't have time to go into right now, but they'll expire soon. So don't wait until this is gone. Space is limited. Just the first 25 people. I look forward to seeing you on the work session. So what does one do when they reach the absolute pinnacle of the sports world and they hoist the Lombardi trophy over their head as a member of a Super Bowl championship team? Well, if you're Casey Crawford, you might ask questions like, is this what it's all about? Or you might say things like, I want more, like I want to do more in the world. Well, when the mortgage industry collapsed in 2007, Casey saw that greed and corruption among the leaders of the industry had caused this. And he saw a lack of value toward employees and a neglect toward community problems. And he saw opportunity where others saw obstacles. And he saw an opportunity to change how an entire banking industry was done for the benefit of not only the industry, but more importantly, the employees and the community. So he co-founded Movement Mortgage, and he's not just talked the talk, he's walked the walk. I mean, the Movement Foundation has invested more than $25 million towards community improvement and meeting the needs of the underserved around the world. In this episode, he actually announces a number that is absolutely going to blow your mind that they are investing in the community. I mean, this guy is really putting his money where his mouth is. So from his first bone crunching, literally first play in the NFL being a bone crunching play to now being a leader in the industry, Casey shares his story and his secrets to success in this episode of Success Through Failure. He actually shares some really specific tactics. So make sure you listen right to the end of this episode. And by the way, Casey and I, were contemporaries at the University of Virginia. He was a superstar football player. Uh, I was a wrestler. And, you know, he was just, I think, one year behind me. His wife was a superstar field hockey player. Uh, and is she's like a, a world-class CrossFit athlete herself. So just an amazing family, amazing individual. I mean, this guy, you are going to be ready to run through a wall as soon as you're done listening to this podcast. And if you don't have time to listen to the entire episode or if you hear something you like, but you don't have a chance to write it down, make sure you go to jimharshajr.com slash action and you'll get everything from this episode. You'll get all the notes from this. You'll actually get access to all the other action plans from all of my episodes as well. And by the way, I do want to mention this. You can listen to Success Through Failure anytime on your smart player, on your smart speaker. Just say, hey, Siri or hey, Alexa or whatever it is that you have. 
play success through failure podcast and voila, you will hear my voice. So give that a try. All right. Without further ado, let's dive into my interview with CEO of Movement Mortgage and Super Bowl champion, Casey Crawford. So, you know, you're a Super Bowl champion. You're CEO of a major mortgage company. Uh, you know, we tend to look from the outside in. We're like, man, things must have been easy for Casey, man. It's like everything just kind of worked out for him. Things weren't always so easy, right? Tell us a little bit about your backstory. <laughs> yeah, no, th th things were not always easy. But, but you know, that said, um, I, I do feel like, uh, it, you know, in many ways, um, my parents and my upbringing and um, a lot of things gave me gave me a lot of um, early success in life and, and did, you know, I think paved the way for, for a lot of opportunities that I, were able to take, that I was able to take advantage of kind of throughout my life. I was I'm, I'm a great mom and dad who, um, you know, I think as you get older, you appreciate that it, it, more and more as you meet folks. And, you know, I had a father who was my football coach, who's still my best friend. He was my best man at my wedding. And um, he's the best man I know. He's the best man I know. And from a really early age, I was gifted with a mentor and, and a model of what it looks like to be a, a loving, caring father, a really committed husband, and, and a hardworking man. My dad owned a true value hardware store in D.C. And when I was growing up, this is the 80s and 90s. So D.C. was the crack epidemic was in full swing, and D.C. was the epicenter, really, of the violence associated with that. And we were in the heart of D.C. We were in Southeast, which was the roughest part of D.C. So D.C. was the murder capital of the world. And uh, we had a little teeny True Value hardware store there that my dad worked at six days a week. He was out of the house every day at five o'clock, would you know, drive into work. And um, I went to work with him a ton. And so, you know, each and every day I started to learn you know, what it means to, to kind of wake up. And I don't think he ever woke up loving his job. You know, I think we think a lot about purpose and meaning in life and all this kind of stuff. Now we look for, for careers that align with that. Um, I don't think that, that that hardware store like was, was those things for my father. What, what that hardware store meant for my father was it provided for his family that he cared about. And I never heard him complain, never heard him, uh, you know, begrudge that that early morning wake up, that hour drive and that, you know, those long 13 hour days that he put in every single day just to put a roof over my head and feed our family. And, you know, again, man, that, that gift of seeing seeing a person in your life that each and every day was loving you sacrificially and was putting you first and was having that just that hard, consistent work put in um, was real, a really gift. You know, it was, it was a huge gift. And, and I looked at that and, and, and you know, kind of kind of took that in as a kid. Um, and I was just a big, gigantic human being. I was 6'5", 230 pounds. I was in high school. And when you're, when you're that big, you angled towards athletics. And so I played basketball and football and baseball and was uh, fortunate enough to go to the University of Virginia, where uh, you know, we, we crossed paths during that time. I know your athletic background and journey was, uh, you know, an exciting one at UVA also. And that was a, a really, really neat time. And got to have a lot of success and, and yet again, meet some other great uh, models of success. Coach George Welsh was an amazing coach. Um, and again, kind of, I think, model a lot of that perseverance through adversity and a hard focus on who you are, what you do. And again, I got to absorb a lot of leadership lessons from, from him. But no, the, you know, the, the journey wasn't straight up from there. I had four injuries in college and, and went from uh, Mel Kuyper, having me raised the first tight end overall in the draft in my junior year. I um, had a sports hernia surgery the uh, week before of my senior year, opening week of my senior year, and I was the first football player to ever have that surgery. So they said, you know, we're going to give you this surgery. We had a hockey player. It took him like six weeks to come back, but you know, you're a football player, right? So you're tough and you're already big and strong. And, you know, three to four weeks, we think you'll be back on the field. Now they know that's a year. That's a year recovery kind of surgery. At the time, you know, that was going to be three to four weeks. That'd be in the, in the fourth game. And so I came back, I think, in the sixth or seventh game of the season because I, you know, like so many um, athletes, you know, wanted to be a good kid, wanted to be hardworking, wanted to, like, you know, suck it up and tough through. And I was not – I just wasn't the same. I really couldn't run, couldn't couldn't make right turns. And <laughs> I ended up, you know, doing some more damage, kind of my, my pelvic ball and things, and was going to be done with football. At that point, I was done with football. I had four surgeries, you know, through my, my UVA career. And I said, you know, I'd gone from – you know, again, Kuiper having is the, the first tight end to be taken to off the board. You're not going to not going to play, not going to be taken. And I got into um, I was going to get into, uh, you know, at the time, everything dot com was blowing up. And so I was going to go do a, a startup in 2000 and a dot com, do a little uh, Internet startup. And all on the same day, I had three people. My, my wife was a, a UVA field hockey player, was my fiance at the time. And um, I woke up that morning and Michelle and I were having lunch. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, sweetie are you sure you don't want to keep playing football? 
you know, you'd been really good at the time. And, and I mean, this is a really limited window where you can play in the NFL. If you're going to do it, now would be the time. And I said, yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about that too. And my body's starting to feel a little better. So I don't know, maybe I will. And then my agents called and um, they called me and said, hey, um, Casey, if you're going to play, uh, this is the combine weekend. And we're going to need to know by Friday, you know, today. And we just think, man, you should just, just throw your hat in the ring, just in case. In three months, you want to you play. I said, oh, I don't know. Okay. I'll think about it. And by the, you know, that, that afternoon, a, a third friend of mine came to me and goes, yeah, Casey, I was thinking about this internet thing. Like, I mean, this isn't going anywhere. It's going to be here. But like this limited window to play football is if you don't decide, you know, to, to play, it's going to be over and you're going to miss it. And I've always been kind of a person of faith. And, and, and man, <laughs> I started pray, praying through this. And I just felt like God was leading me to go play football. So I have gifts that equipped you in this way. And I said, but I'm, you know, I'm all beat up and broken, but everyone in my life coming the same day was challenging me to go play. So I was fantastic. All right, I'm going to go play football. And um, so I signed up for the draft, you know, and the agent's like, hey, you'll still go in the mid rounds, third or fourth round, you know, whatever. And that's, it's not the first round, like maybe you'd hope for a couple years ago, but it's, it's great, man. You'll give you a good team, good starting life. And Jim, I sat there and um, it's a pretty lonely feel. You're watching the draft go on and your whole family's gathered around you and you know, all the hopes and dreams. Everybody's, oh man, first First guy in the family is going to play pro sports, and first couple rounds go by, I wasn't expecting anything. Third and fourth round go by, phone rings a couple times, guys call me and say, hey, how are you feeling? How's your body? I say, okay, good. Somebody's about to pick me up. Fifth, sixth round go by, nobody calls. Seventh round comes up, and I'm calling my agents at this point, going, who's going to pick me? What's going on? I said, no problem. You're definitely getting picked up in this round. And, um, you know, People start kind of consoling you, and seventh round goes by, and no one calls. No one signs me. And then as only a, a football agent can do, they turn the, turn the script around and go, you know, Casey, it's a good thing not to be drafted. It's a good thing. <laughs> so, how is this a good thing? How, how is this a good thing? said, now, now we get to pick the team that we want to go. They don't get to pick you. We get to pick who we want to go play for. We'll sign a free agent contract. You know, only an agent can spin it that way. It is not a good thing to go from – you know, being the first tight end on the board. So an agent and a parent, maybe. Maybe yeah. a parent can do that, too. Parents, yeah. No, my parents were, uh, I think, a little disappointed alongside me. They were, uh, it, it, you know, it was, uh, I was looking at my, my fiance, Michelle, who's my wife now of 20 years, and she was going to go to law school. And, and, you know, her father had given me the um, uh, the car payment. You know, we, we had picked out an apartment. I was going to have a mortgage payment and the law school tuition. Uh, staring me in the face, and I had a, a $2,500 uh, free agent contract, basically a plane ticket down to Carolina, played for the Carolina Panthers. And I, I really, I was, I was really upset with God, really, really upset with God. So, you know, I, I prayed, and I thought you were calling me to go do this. And I was really sure about that. And then all these three people, you know, encouraged me, and that was a really good confirmation for me. I thought I was supposed to go play football. And this is terrible. Now, no one has even chosen me. Like, this is, this is awful, and I'm just so upset. Um, but I, I, again, just kind of always haven't been a, a person of faith. There'd been this one little Bible verse that really encouraged me. It was Philippians 4.13. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And I, I really felt like God said, man, do you trust me or not? Are, are you going to keep going or not? And I said, well, I, I guess I, I, you know, I do, but I do not like this situation at all because it's just, it's embarrassing and it's terrible. And I'm, it's every way in which you can fail, fail. And I felt like a failure. I felt like just that, especially as a, a you know, a, an engaged new to be soon to be husband. I'm about to fail my wife. Um, and even being able to, to, to make our car payment, a payment for a Honda Civic I couldn't make. Had to borrow money for our, her ring for my mom and dad. And I got down to Carolina and I was the fifth tight end on a, um, in the, on the depth chart. And they had never kept more than three. And I called my agents and me. I said, this, this is what we chose. You gave me this whole speech about we're choosing our team. This is what we chose. I'm the fifth guy. They've never kept more than three. First guy is Wesley Walls. He'd been five-time All-Pro. Second guy, they'd just given a million-dollar signing bonus to, Chris Mangan. Ended up being a great friend. And the third guy was Brian Kinchin. He was our long snap. And we only had one. And you need to have one on a team. And they'd never kept more than three tight ends. And so I called my agents. I said, Where, where's the opportunity here? Like, this is – now, and, and then there was another undrafted free agent, and then there was me. That was the depth chart. <laughs> it, it was just miserable. And so, you know, we, we get out there, and I just kept, kept persevering. I think that's been a lot of my, my story and, and, and something that really resonated with me was, you know, your failure through success. I never viewed it as failure. Failure to me has a very final kind of connotation to it, but I think I, 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 do, I definitely know what you – meant, Jim, on your journey and what you've seen in others' journey is that there has to be a commitment to perseverance through adversity. There has to be. And there's going to be setbacks along the way. And there's going to be times where it looks bleak, where it feels bleak, where it is bleak, where, where the odds are stacked against you. And so often it's just it's a, it's a continued perseverance in and through adversity. 
and not looking at whatever setback it is as an ultimate failure, but just looking at it as what it is, a momentary time of adversity that's actually building in you character that's going to serve you so well in years to come. I didn't have that mature perspective at 22, but I did, I did have a commitment and I, and I did have a model for my father of what it looked like to continue to get up and go to work each and every day, whether or not you liked it, whether you loved it, whether you enjoyed it, because it had a purpose, which was caring for those around you. And, uh, and I had a purpose with a new wife and, and, and this new, new commitment to football. So I, I played in the very first game. I was, um, they were making cuts the day after the first game. And so I knew I had to do something special. So the first game, and I had an injury-riddled college career. I'd just gotten you know, back healthy enough. And so I said, okay, man, please, God, you know, let, me, let me do something fine here in this first game. And the first game, opening kickoff, run back, and I'm on the wedge. Right. And the wedge, folks that don't follow football, is now outlawed, by the way. Thankfully so. But it's essentially just a human sacrifice. I mean, this is <laughs> just you run backwards 30 yards and hold hands with some good friend of yours, turn around and run forward 10 yards into other gigantic human beings who have gotten a 50-yard head of steam and you meet. And, and, and just a, an explosion of human bodies occurs. And, uh, and then you know, after the melee, they, they tackle somebody. And so, you know, they, they put the guys on the wedge um, or the, all the free agents like me because they really don't want the real players to get hurt. So they, they, they use kind of human cannon fodder of a free agent. Sacrifice guys like you. Sacri- I mean, yes, we are sacrificing the ultra special teams. And um, I ran down and hit this little linebacker from Jacksonville. I hit him as hard as I possibly could. And when I did, everything went black. I mean, just everything went black. And I kind of, you know, shook the cobwebs off and, opened my eyes back up and, you know, drew up my feet for a few, few moments and pushed them and the whistles blew and everything. And, and I looked down on my jersey and I had a white jersey and I looked down and it's just covered in blood, just, just this huge red blood circle on this white jersey. And in the ultimate arrogance of football players, I shoved them and went, punk, bleeding all over me. <laughs> and I really thought I had hit him so hard. He had just started spontaneously bleeding all over my jersey. <laughs> and he smiled and shook his head. About that time, I, I, I started to feel my nose. I jogged over the sidelines, and the trainer's looking at me, going, you're out. My chin strap had busted. Both ear snaps had snapped off. The helmet had come down and smashed the bridge of my nose and broken my nose and blown it up all over my white jersey. <laughs> first play, first NFL game, preseason. But I'm trying to make this team. And the thing is, you're out, you're out, get out. Welcome to the NFL. Yeah, yeah, welcome to the NFL and, like, welcome to everything financially going down. I'm about to get fired with a broken nose. I'm not going to pay any bills. They're going to cut me tomorrow. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible. And I looked at him and said, man, um, I, you don't understand. I, I can't go out. They're making cuts tomorrow. I'm the fifth tight end on the roster. Like, I'm gone. you got to let me play. And so, you know, he shoved some gauze up my nose and, you know, gave me a visor face mask and things. And. I was sitting in the locker room and I was supposed to start the second half. And I just kept, kept praying that prayer. I was like, God, man, you can do all things through Christ. He gives you strength. I said, man, I just got to keep showing up. I just got to keep showing up. And, and so I, I went out in the second half. And, you know, I was already kind of one-legged from the year before. I couldn't outrun anybody on the field. I had a broken nose, a big visor, not great hands to begin with. Um, but every route I ran, it was like everybody just fell down. And I'd be wide open. And, and Damian Craig hit me for five passes and a touchdown, a two-point conversion. And, like literally somehow miraculously, I finished the game. I ended up being the player of the game and, um, you know, like a hundred yards receiving and all this kind of stuff. And it was simply by, by showing up. And I kind of joked at the end of the game that, you know, Damien had, had just seen that, that red blood and it had been like a target. And I said, you know, so, so sometimes, sometimes that adversity <laughs> becomes a gift, right? <laughs> and you don't know what it is, man, that, uh, that really becomes a gift to help you get where you're going. It was a matter of simply showing up. And then just through that preseason, I'd sprain my MCL the next week. I tore my ankle up the following week and just kept showing up. You know, just kept showing up. And um, again, by the end of this preseason, I was, you know, one of the top you know, leading receivers in the NFL in the preseason, right? Just because of just being out there and then getting a bunch of pet balls thrown to me. Um, I ended up making the team. I looked back and I just was so amazed at kind of like what I felt like God had done in and through that. And, not in the crazy success I had, not only in the making of the team, but in the, I think the building of that muscle of faith in the midst of adversity and perseverance through in and through adversity when, when the odds don't look good. And, and it was simply a matter of continuing to, to do all that I could with what I had left. And I can tell you what I had left did not feel sufficient for the challenge at hand. I couldn't run. 
I was I already wasn't that fast to begin with. <laughs> and then I was on one leg, and then I sprained my only good leg, the MCL of my only good leg, and then I re-sprained an ankle I'd torn up the year before. And I was playing with the biggest, fastest guys in the world. Um, and you know, my wife's law school tuition, our mortgage payment, and her civic were on the line. It was just a great lesson, Jim, for me in like what it meant to walk in and through adversity and one that carried with me my whole life. And my father had always told me that, that football was going to end for me probably pretty early in life. It's something, if you play for a really long time, you're done at 30. But the lessons that football taught me from a character perspective were going to carry with me the rest of my life and that that was the real gift of the game. Uh, and, man, I've, I've just found that to be so true in, through the rest of my journey. And for the listeners, I want you to think about, like, Casey just shared a story with us that that is entertaining. And, and for us, you know, sitting here in our comfortable chairs or doing whatever you're doing, listening to this episode. But this was this was real for him. There was real pain. There was real self-doubt. There was real struggle, financial and otherwise. And he lived this. I mean, this is, you know, we look at people who achieve success and we go, ah, you know, maybe things were a little bit easier for them. But but as you can see, and as you can hear, it's not. There's there's a grind. There's a hustle that has to happen. There's a faith that has to happen. There's a persistence that has to happen to get there. So, Casey, fast forward a little bit, and you yep. you get to the ultimate of football. Yep. You get to be on a on a team that wins the Super Bowl championship. Yeah. You get to hoist the Lombardi Trophy. Yep. What was that like? It, it was it was it was all those things you'd imagine. It was a dream come true because I I like so many other you know little boys that played football. I, I I dreamed of being in the Super Bowl my whole life. I dreamed of all those you know those kind of moments and and really it's one of it's one of the most memorable moments of my life was standing on the podium at the fifty yard line after the Super Bowl. The confetti's rang. Thankfully, my wife Michelle had come out of the game. My mom and dad had had, had you know been out there at the game. My little sister. And, and we're, you know, we're all out there. I got them all down on the field, you know. So you can imagine a father who was a football coach, who was a little boy, getting to stand on the field, you know. And I, I know you had some more experience like with, with your dad, Jim. And just the, the power of looking back over that journey, that story together. And then, you know, my wife's from Jersey and Bon Jovi singing, It's My Life on stage, you know. I'm already jumping with a jersey. And for like a Jersey girl, like getting near Bon Jovi singing, it's, my, it's about like it's about as good as I was a husband, like a gift to my wife. She's like, I married the right guy. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I think she might have thought she married the wrong guy. She should have just held out for Bon Jovi to see, like, if you know, but, 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 you know, like, second <laughs> um, she was maybe standing with. And it, it was, it was, it was really, it was really incredible and magical and powerful. And, and it was, it was a gift because it was at a really young age, too. You know, it was like at 24 years old, I really felt like God gave me a gift at that point of getting to experience all the things that I thought were going to have the ultimate in meaning and purpose to me in my life. Like if you'd asked me what I wanted to accomplish in life, they were kind of wrapped up in that moment. I hadn't had kids yet, but I married like my best friend. You know, I'm with my mom and dad. We, we I, I remember I had, I had a whole bunch of money in my backpack for my Super Bowl bonus, you know, cash and stuff. I was going to be able to you know, buy a home and, you know, I'd had, it was in the NFL, had, you know, got a Super Bowl ring. It checked every box that I thought I wanted to check in life, really in that moment. And it was, it was kind of, it was just surreal. You know, surreal and you're kind of pinching yourself. And then I remember, Equally powerful was the next day because I, I went to bed and woke up. And when I woke up, Jim, I, I, I looked around and I, and I remember thinking, I was like, wow, God, you've, you've just given me all the things I thought I wanted in life. Man, athletic success, a loving wife that I'm just, you know, absolutely in love with and money. I mean, we had financial success that, you know, at the time I thought was just, just you, know, you can't spend as much money as you make as a third year league minimum NFL player. <laughs> and um, we got on the plane to go fly home, and Coach Gruden was the coach of the team that year. And he was just amazing. He was an incredible leader. He taught some incredible leadership principles really all year that I've still benefited from through my business journey. But um, I remember he, we got on the plane, and, and we started to, to take off. And, and Coach did this really funny thing. He, he put up his, his hands and said, hey, hey, Jim, how many fingers you got on your hand, big guy? He was actually asked Warren Sapp, I think. <laughs> Warren Sapp, I got, I got five fingers, Coach. He said, yeah, yeah. Hey, Keyshawn, how many fingers you got? You know, Keyshawn Johnny. I got five fingers, Coach. Yeah. And uh, Coach goes, yeah, I got five too, but I only got one freaking ring. <laughs> so let's go back to camp and work on four more, baby. <laughs> and yeah, everyone kind of laughed. And, and, you know, you, and he was I mean, the guy, he was like a walking one liner. Just everything you saw on Monday night, except for, you know, not as filtered and, uh, and maybe even more passionate. And it was, it was amazing. I think what he meant, I think what he meant in that, man, the joys in the journey, right? Not the destination. 
It's not about the, the just the winning that Super Bowl. The joy is in the journey, man. And he loves football. And, and that was that was the point, man. He loves what he was doing. But it occurred to me as a 24-year-old who had oriented my entire life around sports and athletics and uh, making money that what well, if at 24, man, I'd literally not grab this, you know, the brass ring, but the Super Bowl ring. And, and, and less than an hour after getting all these things, or less than one day, excuse me, after getting all these things that I thought were, were my ultimate goals in life. I wake up and go, I want more. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. And it wasn't going to be one more ring. And I just kind of knew in that moment what there wasn't a dollar amount. There wasn't a, an athletic accomplishment. There wasn't a there wasn't some conquest that I was going to achieve that was going to fill that need for purpose and for more. And I kind of made the decision in that moment on that plane ride home that I really wanted to invest my life not in entertainment. Which, which football is, and it's great. It's great. And, and, and listen, I, my athlete, I wasn't making a tremendous contribution to the NFL or my team or people's lives in my participation in the NFL. I was the least significant person to ever win a Super Bowl ring, I think. And I said, you know, God, I just, I want to invest my life with purpose. And that purpose needs to um, be creating impact in the lives of others. And I, again, I've always been a, um, a follower of Jesus. And I, I just kind of appreciate it. He said, Hey, love Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Do these two things and you do well. And I said, I, I haven't really done much to love my neighbor. And I said, you know, God, give me an opportunity to love my neighbor as myself. And um, I left football and decided to leave football and pursue something. I was hoping to find more success and more impact and purpose within. And that's what led me into the business world. Don't forget what I talked about at the beginning of the show. Let's 10X your goals in 2021. I'm going to lead you and 24 others through a step-by-step process that will explode your results. You'll walk away with a written plan to live your breakthrough, guaranteed. Visit jimharshawjr.com slash 10X. How do you go about then starting a mortgage company? Like how, like how does one even, first of all, think of that for why? I mean, why that? I mean, I, like so many people want to make an impact and it's like maybe through coaching or, or philanthropy or, you know, doing what I do, host a podcast. Like I'm an executive life coach and get to speak and all, you know, I'm, I know I'm making an impact. You start a mortgage company. Why and, and how? How the heck do you even like, what's like, Step one. <laughs> yeah, no, such a good, such a good question, and, and it was not less than when I when I was little, you know, growing up, I didn't have you know, dreams of uh, banking and finance and opening up a mortgage company by, by any stretch. Um, I think what so what happened was, you know, in in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, our nation found itself embroiled in the biggest financial recession we've had since the Great Depression. You know, and really at the epicenter of that financial meltdown was the mortgage industry itself. Um, we, you know, we in the mortgage industry caused the biggest economic retraction in the United States. And what happens in the United States reverberates around the world. And I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, they call Charlotte the first city built on banking. So I was watching, I watched Wachovia whew, go away. Bank of America teeters, gets down to like 50 cents a share, something you know incredible. People are thinking it's, it's about to go away. Our, all the jobs, all the employment that are associated with those banks in Charlotte were in absolute peril. People were terrified. And it was all fundamentally due to a um, tremendous amount of greed that was centered in the mortgage industry. And I think, you know, when you find yourselves in these tremendous environments of adversity or hurt and pain, there's also incredible opportunity. There's always incredible opportunity to love and impact lives when people are hurting that pervasively. And so, you know, kind of looked around at the landscape and it, it makes a lot of sense now, 12 years later, I can tell you at the time it was, it was absolute chaos. This is absolutely, you know, when Warren Buffett says, hey, you know, when, invest when there's blood in the streets. And that's easy to say, really hard to do, because when there's blood in the streets, when there's that much chaos, you know, the, the smart people are running the other way. It's kind of hard to go running into the fire. And I, we absolutely, man, I was not that bright, but I absolutely saw an opportunity to reframe um, the way mortgages were done in the U.S., and go, you know, we, we actually think the United States is built and it's fundamental that, that the value of individual property rights are going to be maintained and upheld by our federal government. It's really core and foundational to our nation and that the federal government is going to continue to ensure um, and, and really underwrite the credit of um, individual property rights. And that's kind of what we do through our federal agencies, through Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, but they're going to use the private industry to distribute those credits. Um, so we really, we stepped into that space and said, you know, there's an opportunity here to write a new story in banking. 
in the U.S. and to redeem the way mortgages have been given, home loans have given, and banking has been done even more broadly and opened up with um, really that vision. And there's four of us, right? So I was telling these big speeches, man, we're going to change the way banking's done. We're, we're, our mission statement is going to be we exist to love and value people because they've been anything but loved, anything but valued by financial services in America. And we're going to tell a new and better story in regards to how we did that. Um, and again, man, looking back now, that doesn't seem as insane to say those things, or, but I, when there's four of us, it just, it just felt daunting and overwhelming and really, really crazy. And, you know, I was looking again at my <laughs> half Cuban, half Italian uh, wife at the time. We had one daughter who was uh, two. Gosh, my, my youngest wasn't even born yet. And man, w- when I say fledgling, I mean, we were just teetering on financial ruin. And yet I was like, hey, I'm going to take all the money that I've made in football and in some real estate things afterwards and kind of put all chips on the table, go all in on this um, mortgage endeavor because we see an opportunity to, to love, to serve, to help, and to bring some value to people's lives that doesn't exist right now. And it turns out, you know, it was the perfect time to launch because company after company, mortgage company after mortgage company, bank after bank went out of business. So it's kind of like if we were playing a game and just 90% of the competitors are erased and you're just what's left. Um, and I, I'd love to say that we were just so good. So it, it really, we entered the market at a really, really good time. And I think there is a lesson there that that when you run towards adversity in the lives of others, man, opportunity emerges. I, I really do believe that because most people don't run towards those adver- times and places of adversity. And, and I met a lot of friends along the way who have stories that, that kind of mirror that. And that was really that was really ours. And in the last decade, yeah, we've had the privilege of, of really growing. Um, you know, over four thousand team members now and. We're doing about one out of every 45 home purchases in the U.S. So you saw what everybody else was seeing, which was an obstacle, but you saw it as an opportunity. And I think there's a lesson in that as well. I mean, because most people look around their own lives and, and maybe they're not trying to change the banking industry, but they're seeing they're seeing obstacles all around them. I mean, especially in the time that we're living in now, this this whole past year dealing with COVID and all the obstacles that are out there. I mean, you saw an opportunity and, that, and that's scary. I mean, people were you know, people tend to not want to run towards that. I mean, what do you say to the person who's listening to this right now? And they have their own vision, right? Maybe it's in a totally different industry. Maybe it's uh, a nonprofit, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever challenge they're facing in life, whatever obstacle they're facing in their life. What do you say to that person who has that vision? They see a different way. They say they see a better way, but, but they see obstacle. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, the purpose has to be bigger than the obstacle. And I mean, if the purpose is about you, it usually is not going to be. We'll give up on ourselves so much faster than we'll give up on someone else. And that, that's one thing I, I so respect about wrestlers and individual athletes, because you all actually built up a, a muscle to, to persevere in incredible adversity, really in, in individual sports. But, you know, when you look at like the Navy SEALs and, and you've done some great shows with Navy SEALs and other folks, you know, you think about the buddy system during buds or you think about, you know, that that team element and that, you know, you will go further for others than you'll ever go for yourselves. And so if you have a purpose, if you have a purpose that's about serving others, you'll always go further. You'll always push through more. You'll always deal with more adversity than you will if you know you're the only ends to, 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 to your effort. And um, I think whether we're talking about the, the financial recession in 08 or we're talking about more recently COVID. This year, we, we were faced with that same kind of challenge. Uh, you know, the mortgage industry almost blew up and the federal government came and said, hey, our, our nation, our world is being deeply impacted by this horrible pandemic and folks are losing jobs at rates we haven't seen since the Great Depression, right? And we need to extend credit to Americans. One of the primary ways they were going to do that was actually by lowering the cost of home ownership. It's one of the ways the federal government infuses credit and, and actually provides economic relief to Americans. Their only go-to-market method to do that it's the private mortgage industry. That's it. We're, we're, we are game plan number one and, and only. So in the middle of the pandemic, we had to rally our team to say, hey, I know you're suffering. We, we lost, we've lost a few team members to COVID. We have a number of team members here in ICU. And almost everyone's had some extended family member they've lost to COVID. People are suffering. People are hurting. I said, you know, in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this hurting, our nation's never needed us more. And they're calling on us. And, and really our neighbor's hope, our community's hope, is that we are going to be able to lower the cost of their houses and help them buy houses at prices that they've never imagined. Um, and we're our only federal government's method to deliver this credit they want to give to Americans. We've got to step up and do more than we've ever done. And that's why I was so proud of our team in the middle of 
COVID, you know, working from home, we close, we'll, we'll, we'll fund twice as many loans as we've ever funded in company history this year doing it from home. And I think it's because, you know, our team members see a deep and profound purpose in what they do, that they know that their efforts are actually benefiting their friends, their families, and the communities that they're a part of um, by lowering their cost of credit. So it gave them a, a reason to do nine hours of Zoom calls a day from their, you know, their kids' bedroom with, I mean, I got, I got stuffed animals over here. This is all facade, this, this background here. I got, you know, kids' toys and animals. I mean, I don't I built a house and didn't even imagine. It looks so formal. looks so legit. I know. I know. And it's, it's all facade. It's like, it's everything. It's just, 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 it's just a lot of stuff. Yeah. We got kids. Toys, and I think it's a lot, a lot of folks, right? We're making do. You're, you're, you're adapting yeah. and overcoming the adversity that you face. And yeah, that, that's certainly been our story this year. And then when you, when you do that, I mean, tremendous success follows. When you bring value to lives of others, success follows. And Casey, I think it's so fascinating how you have not just talk the talk. You've walked this out, man. You, you've started a charter school and I think, are you guys working on another one? Yeah, we have four now. Um, yeah, we, four. we have okay. four so now. So tell us yeah. what, why, why do this? I mean, you're, you're in business, you're in business to make money. That's, you know, that's what people think is like the sole purpose of business is to make money and make the investors money and, and all the stakeholders. But you see it as so much bigger than that. And you've invested so many millions, yeah. tens of millions of dollars into you know, in Africa and here in the States. And tell us about that. Yeah, it's been, it's been so much fun. It's been a joy. So yeah, when, when your purpose, you kind of box yourself in. When you start a company, you say your mission statement is to love and value people by being a movement of change in our industry, in, in corporate culture, and in communities across America. And so once you write that as a mission statement, you kind of put it out to the world and the world's going to hold you accountable. And that's, that's a good thing when you have a mission statement that's worth living into. Um, and so, you know, you said if we serve our customers well, we serve our teammates well, you know, hopefully as a business, I think you're right, you know, businesses need to make a profit. And you know, if we're able to make a profit, how do we take care? How do we steward that profit? How do we invest that profit in a way that encourages and brings value to these communities that we're a part of? Because historically, um, that the mortgage industry has not been known for that. We've been known for what we've taken from communities and how we've broken them down, not how we've built them up. And so we, we looked at our communities and said, if we're going to love anyone, let's think about loving the most marginalized. But let's not like Let's not do something for someone that, that, you know, hey, they're going to get a mortgage with us anyway. And it's some kind of biz dev effort. Let's actually try to love the most marginalized. As we look at the marginalized, it was it was the poor. It was the folks that had the least economic resources. And then if we took that subset and went even more narrow, said, OK, but but among the poor, because that poor, that's still a really big group. And like, you know, we were kind of a small organization. I definitely believe in like a hard focus, like being very narrow in what you do and going very deep in what you do. So if we're going to look at, you know, a smaller subset, we want to say we want to serve children. We want to serve the poorest children in the communities that we're a part of. They're the most marginalized. They're the most helpless. And frankly, they're the, they're the ones that are the least able to patronize us in any way, shape, or form. So let's do all that we can to help them. And as we looked at the ways that we could invest to change the trajectory of the lives of the most marginalized children in our communities, um, we were led to schools. I think schools are one of the most powerful institutions in America to shape and change the trajectory of a young life. So, you know, if, if we have a child in school, we get to pour into that kid from the time they are five years old to the time they're 17. It's 12 years. We run our school 365 days a year, not 365. We run our schools all year long, five days a week. We have before and after school programs. And we, with that kind of time, energy investment, I think we can change the trajectory of that child's life. In, in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, if you're born into poverty, it's the lowest likelihood of the 30 largest cities in America that you will change that outcome in your lifetime. So, so if you're born in poverty in Charlotte, the overwhelming chances are you will die in poverty. You will not break that cycle in your lifetime. And our goal is to provide a transformational on-ramp for, for children that are born into deep poverty in Charlotte um, to be equipped with values, character, um, and abil- grit, an ability to overcome failure in their life, have success even through failure, understand they were born into adversity. They were born into it. And you know, we, we want them to understand that by the time they're 17 years old, they've been equipped with a character that's been forced through adversity that most people can't even understand. And that's a gift. That'll be a gift too. And while, while the poverty is a sincere challenge and we don't ever want to mitigate that, the character that they are able to form in and through walking through that adversity is a gift that they'll take into the workplace or into colleges that actually helps them succeed in ways maybe that others can't. So we began to, um, yeah, we bought public charters, our not for profit. We were actually, um, by the time that this airs, we'll, we just made another $100 million um, investment into our foundation to do 
uh, public charters for the most marginalized kids and communities um, that we're a part of. It is, is something we're incredibly excited about. The education space in America is one that is ripe for innovation. Haven't changed a whole lot in the last, gosh, in a number of decades. Uh, and we, we think there's a tremendous opportunity to apply technology and, um, and really some, some, some character values-based training for our children to really help them change their experience in public education. Incredible. Casey, you've, you've done a lot in your young life. You're, I'm 44. I think you're, what, a year younger than me? You're 43, maybe? Is that right? Yeah, we're right there. I'm on your heels. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right there. So you, you have achieved so much at this point in your career. I want to get granular here. Like, What do you do like day-to-day? What kind of habits have you done throughout your life, or maybe just in recent years, mm-hmm. but what have you done maybe since football that has allowed you to achieve great things, uh, maybe, you know, something that you do on a regular basis, habits, tactics, that sort of thing. Well, I know you're a huge fan of habits. I am as well. One of the most powerful concepts in my life is that consistency compounds. I mean, consistency, I just see it play out in so many different areas of my life. Consistency compounds. Einstein, right, said, hey, the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. Those that understand it benefit from it. Those that don't pay it. And, and I mean, I believe that plays out in so many areas. So habits to me are huge. Um, I, a couple that, that I, you know, practice regularly, um, you know, some folks wake up with meditation, different things. I wake up with, with a time of prayer, um, you know, kind of getting into, I read my Bible and pray, you know, each morning, not, not super long, not like hours, 20 minutes. Um, and I work out every day at noon and I'm no, I'm no, you know, animal. Uh, you've had guys on here that, uh, goodness gracious, their warmups would end me. Uh, but <laughs> but I do try to stay consistent. Michelle's warm ups you know, probably with, end you, right? I mean, Michelle, Michelle is warm-up. an elite crosser. I like Michelle. She's, you know, gosh, yeah, she's I think been to the game, world game six times. And, you know, yeah, she's on a different level and planet. Um, but, I, you know, that's another good thing, though, too, right? You try to run with people who are better than you are and what you want to be good at. And, and she certainly pulls me in the direction that I want to go from a fitness perspective. Um, but, yeah, every day at lunch, I, and I got accountability partners, man. I show up, and I got three friends now during COVID. That we've all you know kind of been quarantining and, and you know together you know we work out every day 45 minutes and, and whether i feel like it or not they're going to be there they're going to be texting me i show up and we, we we grind it out and that there's just so many benefits to i think that that layered exercise of consistent habits that build over time and then you know something else wake up every day and go man how can i bring value to my team how can i add value to my team's life and every single day thinking about how i can add value to the lives of others and those people around me um, I think has is, is, is been one of the most powerful compounding habits that um, I've seen over time. And just this, the number of people you're, so you're not, about. you're not thinking of yourself first. You're, you're thinking of your team, you're thinking of others. And this is like a conscious thing that, that goes on through your, through your mind. Absolutely. I, again, I'll give up on myself. I'll fail on myself. I'll, you know, I'll find a million reasons not to pour into myself. But man, when I wake up thinking about my wife, my girls and my team, I mean, they're always worthy of a really good time, energy investment. And, and again, I think I was really blessed to have a mom and dad who modeled that out for me. I, I'm so thankful now to look back at the ways my parents each and every day poured into me and my little sister. Um, and I realize what a gift that is now. I realize that, that, that so many folks didn't have that growing up. I took it for granted as a kid. And I said, you know, I want to give that same gift to my wife, my girls, and then my team and, and you know, more broadly from there. So um, yeah, I, I am a huge huge fan as you say of habits i don't think you, i mean you can't pick a thousand of them right and you got to figure out the ones that are right for you and there's an art in there it's not a science don't try to go don't go knock off elon musk's habits don't knock off jim harshaw's or mine necessarily i mean you got to figure out those things that work in the rhythm of your life that are important to you um but man there should be two or three if you can't think of two or three things that you're doing each and every single day i haven't met many folks who, who, have, who have really um, been able to achieve a whole lot without really harnessing this power of um, compounding consistency and that compounding consistency being manifest in the form of habits. Casey, for the, for the listener who's sitting there saying, okay, I get it. You know, he, he or she is saying, I get it. I understand this is, this is a mindset that I want to buy into, whether it's around being consistency or mm-hmm. habits or, or living for a purpose that's much bigger than you and, and kind of living their life in, in ways that you live your life. Not the same, of course, because everybody's unique, but what kind of action mm-hmm. items might you recommend? Something, something that somebody can do in the next 24 to 48 hours. Maybe it's one thing, maybe it's a uh, two or three things, but any sort of practical, tactical action items that the listener can take away? I think that the danger, the thoughtful listener will take 
and think through how to use these general principles you know, you've applied to your life and I've you know, applied to mine and they'll apply it to their own business, their own life, their own challenge, whatever that may be. And uh, a really great example of that for me is a, a good friend of mine who owns a restaurant here in town. And he and I were having this conversation about how do you wake up every day and bring value to the lives of the people around you, bring value to their life. Like, how do you do that? COVID hits. COVID hits, right? Restaurants, COVID. He, this is his livelihood. He's been a f- fabulously successful restaurateur, owns a number of restaurants. Everyone loves him in town. COVID hits. And he's laying off friends. I mean, I mean suddenly a wait staff is, is you know, not And I said, I said, stress, how did, how did you think about this, man? How did you think about this? Like, what did you do? And he said, you know, I sat back and I thought, I mean, what, what can I do right now to bring value to lots of people? Like, how do I bring value to my community? And so, you know, I was thinking about it and you know, during COVID, what were people lacking? Well, they were lacking community. He goes, and, you know, they're, they're lacking entertainment. Pe- people were getting really, I mean, just bored and sick of getting stuck in their apartments and little things. And I drove by his restaurant. We were, we were trying to support him and pick up carry out. And I came out there one evening and he had a full band and 200 people in the parking lot. And he said, you know, how'd you come up with this, man? Because I, I just was thinking about how I can bring value to the lives of people in our community. I said, man, they need some fun. They need some entertainment. And if, I, if I'm entertaining them, I mean, they're having a good time. Maybe they buy a little bit of food. And sure enough, it started to grow and grow and grow. It became this incredible thing that like, you know, the whole parking lot is filled with people sitting in their car, sitting in their trunk, sitting in the bed of the pickup truck, listening to live music, socially distanced in a safe way. And, and his whole family's running food out to cars and serving people and serving them. And, and they were able to navigate. And, you know, I was able to go have dinner there the other night to his restaurant. I said, you know, how are you doing? They said, it was really because of the live music. And, and that really came because I woke up and said, what can I do to bring value to lots of people around me right now in the middle of a pandemic? And I think, you know, listeners, if anyone listening to this wakes up each and every day thinking about how is it that I can bring value to the lives of people around me? And the more value that you bring, the more they'll pay you for that value. <laughs> like there's an economic equivalent to this. And, you know, for those folks that are interested in business, and some folks, it's not for profit, you know, and then that's fantastic too. Think about how you can bring the most value to the individuals you want to serve so you can transform their lives. Do that each and every day and then watch. Yeah. And when you do that, whether you're, you know, whether you're trying to make more money or you're in business, you're an entrepreneur or you work and you're an employee somewhere, like, like people root for you. People, people want to help you. People root for the person who gives and who serves and who cares. And Casey, it's interesting that you had that conversation with your friend because at the beginning of COVID, I started losing business like crazy. I had a couple clients who just were on the fence about coming on board and they, and they didn't, I lost a bunch of speaking gigs. I'm like, man, I started getting anxious. Like I remember one morning literally going like, I was like, hadn't yeah. eaten right in a few days. I'm like, I don't know what this feeling is. Cause I'm not like, I don't tend to be an anxiety. I don't have a lot of anxiety. I don't have, I just haven't experienced that much in my life. And I'm like, man, I'm not, I hadn't eaten right in a few days. I'm like, I, I think, <laughs> I think this is anxiety. I'm like, huh? No, like, can I talk to you about this? I, I think I'm feeling anxiety. She's a licensed therapist. So she knows she's like, yeah, that's anxiety. And, but, but the question I asked myself, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's good to have, she's like a, like she's a family child and marriage counselor. So she's perfect for me. And, but I, uh, I, I asked myself, I said, like, how am I uniquely qualified to serve? Like, what are like, what is needed right now and how am I uniquely qualified to serve? And that led me down a totally different path that I was initially going down and, you know, not to get into the, to the weeds, but it was, you know, these virtual talks and, and some different ways that, um, that yeah. I can serve the community and serve the world. Yeah. And, and it's been an inflection point in my business and that's great, but it starts from serving. It starts from your heart. It yeah. starts from who you are and how you can give to the world. And everybody's uniquely qualified to serve. And, for the listener, go back and listen to my interview with Matt Bradford. No legs, no vision, no problem. This guy had his legs blown off and he went blind when he stepped on an IED in Iraq. This guy wanted to die. He wanted to end his life until he finally said, how am I uniquely qualified to serve? And that changed everything. And this guy's out there changing the world. And so think about how you, the listener, yes. are uniquely qualified. Your, your, your story is different. Your situation, your scenario is different. You are uniquely qualified to serve in this world. And I urge you to hit the pause button on your life, step off the treadmill of life for a second, and actually ask yourself that question. And man, those obstacles that you're looking at around you, like some of them you won't even see. You'll just see right through them because there'll be opportunities for you to serve. So I encourage you to. To take action on what Casey shared here, because this is a, this is a mind, there's tactics here, but this is a mindset and this is a way to embrace the world. And, and Casey is just absolutely, you're changing the world, man. This is so, so cool to hear your story shared on this podcast, Casey. I appreciate you for making the time for this. 
Can you share with the listener how they can find you, oh, yeah. follow you, et cetera? And by the way, for the listener, if you're saying like, I don't want to follow the, the CEO of some mortgage company, I got another mortgage company, whatever, like you got to follow Casey. I mean, this guy is so inspiring. And, and if you want to <laughs> learn how you can live this stuff out in the world or whatever your scenario is, follow him on social media. So Casey, where can everybody follow you and find you? Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, yeah, Instagram is Casey Crawford on Instagram. And um, we, we do, we try to share, this has been a really neat journey for us. And so we love to share what we're learning and we love to share how we're, we're doing it because um, it's been, Jim, it's been so much fun and there's so much purpose behind it for us. And so I, I come alive when I see other folks coming alive with their lives. And when they start to like just, um, you know, uh, really enjoy their life and find purpose in their lives. And that's been, for me, a lot of the joy. Um, in this journey is doing it with other men and women who are um, kind of coming awake and alive like I did to go, man, there's there's something bigger, there's something better. And man, I'm going to invest my life with purpose. And that purpose is going to be about bringing value to the lives of others. And that has been a really, really neat one from education now in healthcare and banking, a ton of fun to wake up to every day. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for what you're doing. Man, you know, if you're listening to this, you're already somebody who invests in yourself and knows, you know, you need to, to be poured in and filled up to be able to pour yourself out to others. So I just encourage you, man, don't be a uh, reservoir, be a river, right? Get filled up and pour it right back out. Pour it right back out. Jim mm -hmm. brings some amazing teachings, amazing lessons um, that have been hard earned. You know, from life, you didn't have to uh, get body slammed. Jim, Jim will tell you what, what it feels like and what, what it means to like work through the adversity, some of those challenges. And I just tell you, you know, absorb and take them up and apply them to your life and get busy applying them. Excellent. Casey, thanks for making time to go on the show. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, let's talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharshawjr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly with me. And don't forget to grab your action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. And lastly, iTunes tends to suggest podcasts with more ratings and reviews more often. You would totally make my day if you give me a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping me grow the podcast audience. Just open up your podcast app if you have an iPhone, do a search for success through failure, select it, and then scroll the whole way to the bottom where you can leave the podcast a rating and a review. Now, I hope this isn't just another podcast episode for you. I hope you take action on what you learned here today. Good luck and thanks for listening.